Hi there, you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. I am so excited to be back with a new season of this podcast. I've heard you all, you've missed it, you want the regular cadence. Um, and as I think through how to retool the format of the podcast, um, I am excited for what's to come. I'm excited for the women um, who will come to this platform to share their experiences. And I'm also excited um, about doing these types of episodes where I am sharing my expertise um, from working with you know quite a few Fortune 100, Fortune 250, Fortune 500 companies um, and sharing some of what we have seen, um, what we have heard, some of the qualitative you know, data and experiences that people have shared in topics that are typically harder to talk about. Um, but what I want you all to do or what I'm encouraging folks who are listening to the podcast to do is to approach each episode with a level of curiosity that is maybe not the norm. I think sometimes when we listen uh, to podcasts or when we listen to people talk or when we uh, when we look at certain things, we tend to look at it through our perspective and how that person's experience may make us feel or may um, or may confirm or deny some of the beliefs that we have. But what I want to encourage you all to do is listen to this with a curiosity about the other people who exist in the world with you who may have a different life experience than you do. Now, it doesn't mean that your experience is wrong and their experience is right or yours is right and and theirs is wrong. It does mean though that there are some fundamental differences in how we move through the world, how we move through corporate spaces and those differences matter, right? And they impact how we engage with the work, how we engage with organizations, and ultimately how we engage with each other. And so for my solo episodes, um, that is going to be my challenge to all of our listeners. I want you to be curious about what you're hearing and maybe sit with it for a while. Some of the, the information may be new to you and it may be um, a little hard to digest or to understand or to actually uh to fathom that this is actually a reality for someone else. But just because something is not your experience does not mean it is not an experience that someone else is having. Someone who may be close to you, someone who you may work with, someone who you may lead. And so that is the direction I'm going in for my solo episodes. Um, We will still focus on black women in the workplace, um, but my hope is that for everyone who's listening to this, um, if you are someone who is trying to be a leader or who is trying to lead diverse teams in a way that allow them to be innovative, that allow them to be, um, to feel psychologically safe, that allow them to want to engage, that allow them to be loyal, that you will listen to these episodes from a point of curiosity and not from a place of judgment on whether you think this is right or not, because ultimately for a lot of you listening, this is not going to be about your experience. It's going to be about the experiences of the people that you lead. So with that being said, um, my name is Watchin Yanu. I'm the founder and CEO of I Choose the Ladder. We are a career development agency that works primarily with Fortune 100 companies to develop and retain their high-performing talent, and we specialize in the development and the retention of black women. And ultimately, my goal is to create uh, corporate environment and corporate spaces where leaders, non-diverse leaders, are equipped to lead the future of corporate, right? To lead diverse teams, which just seems to be where we're going. And for also diverse employees, for our purposes, black employees, black women are able to find companies and leaders who nurture them, who encourage them, and who actually want to be 
in relationship with them, right? So ultimately my goal is to humanize the corporate experience because we are all humans in these, you know, work situations and how do we do that in a way that doesn't leave any of us feeling depleted. And so in today's episode, I wanted to talk about um, some of the things that your black colleagues, your black leaders, your black peers, your black staff may be going through in the workplace that you may not be aware of. Um, When we do the podcast, that is actually one of the questions that we ask the women we are interviewing. Um, What is something that you deal with at work that your colleagues don't have to or may not be aware of? And the answers that we have gotten over the course of, you know, 80 or so podcast episodes thus far have always been really eye-opening. And so I wanted to condense them into some broader topics, right? Some common topics that have come up um, and then talk about how that could potentially be impacting how they show up at work, how they show up with you um, and why some of those things are problematic, not just for the person-to-person relationship, but also problematic for the business. And so the first thing I wanna talk about is societal conditioning of who is allowed to do what and who is capable of what. So I've been in conversation, you all know that I've run this question on Instagram a couple of times um, a year around how many people have ever had a black boss or how many people have ever had a black woman boss, right? And typically that number is low. And so for you listening to this now, think through your career, right? Like how many black women have you had lead you or, or have been in a position of uh, being your superior, direct superior, um, as you have navigated your career? And what do you think that has conditioned you to believe around who is capable of leading, right? So most people have not had a black person lead them and even fewer have had a black woman lead them. Most of the time your leaders are white and they're either white women or they are white men, right? Just because of how the power dynamics are set up. But then what that does is it's it it, it, it frames our minds to think about certain people and certain demographics in certain positions of power. So some people are conditioned to lead or, or are destined to lead and others aren't, which is not actually true, right? And so when you talk about the intersections of black, being black and being a woman, you have two kinds of conditioning, like what are black women capable of doing and what women are capable of doing, right? And then you add another intersection based on life experiences. Well, what do you think somebody from this neighborhood who is a black woman is capable of doing? And a lot of times these are not conscious choices or conscious decisions that we are making. It's how we are conditioned by society to think and view people who are othered or different, right? Or who are who have who we have decided as society are outside of the norm. And in the United States, the norm is white and heterosexual, right? And that whether that's white woman or white man, right? There's a hierarchy, but the way that we have defined it, um, and it doesn't stop when we get to work, right? Actually, work mirrors what we see and what we know, what we've been, we've been conditioned to believe um, in society. So I, I remember when I first started out working, there was a boss that I had, well, she wasn't my direct boss, but there was a boss, a woman in leadership. She was actually the president of the company that I worked for. And I asked her a question around why there were no black people in leadership, right? Or like, as we talked about divert, cause as a, you know, entry level black person, I was looking for people to be like, hey, is it possible for me to become something here? But once we got to like the senior manager director level, all of a sudden there was no diversity, right? Well, there was gender diversity, um, but there was no, outside of gender diversity, there was no real visible diversity, right? And so for me, it's like, wait, is there a place for me here? And I remember the question being, um, 
did you guys not have enough qualified people to be promoted into those roles? Or did the people who were qualified get so frustrated at having to wait and wait and wait and wait that they left? Either way, nobody's there. And she and I had a, a very interesting conversation about, you know, how she viewed diversity, how she viewed, um, you know, diversity of thought, which, you know, that's a whole other conversation. Because before you can know that someone is has a diverse perspective, you have to invite them into the room. And since the rooms were not very diverse, how would you know if there were other people with other diversities of thought? But that is not the purpose of this podcast. But one of the things that we have to be careful of is our own conditioning. And you all know that I talk about self-awareness a ton and trying to think through how you have been, how we have all been socially conditioned to think about what people are capable of and is that somehow impacting how you promote people, how you hire people, how you talk to people, how you engage with people, right? It's a huge thing that, you know, if you are not someone who is part of a marginalized group that you rarely have to think about, right? Because, you know, there are different parts of your identity that carry some privilege and there are parts of your identity that don't. But when you have visible differences, right, um, from people that they have, um, and what we'll talk about in our next point that they already have, you know, unconscious wiring about, it makes it really hard to try to, you know, aspire and stay positive as you navigate what is the corporate ladder. The second thing that black, we found that black women have had to deal with in their work or their climb to, into leadership is bias and stereotyping, right? And the problem with biases and stereotypes is they're usually negative. They're usually unjustified. They're usually inaccurate. They usually oversimplify an issue or a topic, and they usually are filled with unfair assumptions that are not really backed by any data, right? If we actually looked at data um, and we looked at history, we'd see a lot of the things that we attribute to black folks or to black women are not really accurate, but because stereotypes are persistent, right? They have carried from generations to generations. And so um, one of the challenges that I pose to our leaders who we work with is that you can't be diverse at work and not diverse at home, right? And when we talk about, you know, the women's movement and the, the progress that women are making in the workplace, if you look at the actual data, it's white women, right? And, and what I strongly believe is that the reason that white women are moving at such a faster rate is because white men who are in positions of power know white women in real life, right? They have white daughters, they have white wives, they have white sisters, they have white moms, right? And so when there are things that are happening that are negative, they get to see firsthand the negative impact on that person who they have, you know, who they care about, who there is an emotional investment about, who there is a, a humanity to. Most leaders don't know, well, most leaders in power don't know black people in real life. Right. And so the the challenge with that is then the issues that your staff face or your colleagues face are not personal to you. And so there's not the same amount of urgency um, that happens when things are going on or when there's somebody is, you know, dealing with stereotyping or dealing with biases because it's not familiar to you. The urgency to help or change that thing is usually not the same. And what we have found is that for black folks in America, learning about the dominant culture, which is white culture, has been a way of survival, right? And so that means a lot of your black colleagues have spent a lot of their lives learning about the preferences of white people. And for me, I think, you know, that's a gift and a curse, right? Because 
uh, we talk about code switching and knowing how to navigate different environments. That is a survival skill that a lot of your black employees and colleagues have that I think some white folks do not have. Um, but we have been taught how to care about or to, to cultivate our personalities and the ways that we move so that we can be seen as acceptable by white people. So there is, um, there, I was talking about when I first started college, there were so many movies and TV shows, like black movies and TV shows that were a core part of my childhood that my white friends that I met at college had never even heard of, right? And to me, it was like, what? Like it was such a huge thing in my world. And on the flip side, every single white sitcom or TV or movie show, movie that they thought about, like I had seen, right? With the exception that I think of Seinfeld and Friends. But I'd heard, at least I knew what they were. I knew the, like the premise of them, right? But because for so long, people have had the opportunity to opt out of what, is, what it is like to be someone other than who they are, right? If you are not part of the dominant culture within the United States, you go into these situations having a very skewed um, perception of what it means to be that person and to exist. And that can be really challenging for folks because they are trying to figure out, you know, how to make a living in a space that doesn't necessarily understand them. And that for the people that they're working with, a lot of what they do understand is inaccurate, right? Or what they expect is inaccurate. And so bridging that gap sometimes can cause a lot of stress. And like, before you get to actually doing your job, you have to do the mental gymnastics of navigating all that. And for folks in workplaces and, and in leadership positions, that can be extremely draining, right? Because you're already under the same amount, if not more pressure as your, uh, as your colleagues are, but now you have to deal with all these other things, right? People who maybe have never had a black leader that are, that are challenging your authority or people who are not as, you know, who don't have as much experience feeling that they can challenge your credentials in a way that's like very condescending and rude because of what we have been taught to believe about people who are different than we are. The third thing um, that has come up a lot is visible intersectionality. So I know that for, you know, there are a bunch of different areas of diversity. And for some of those areas, you can see and some of those you can, you don't see, right? And so that's not to say that it doesn't matter if the, if the thing that, that makes you other or different isn't visible, right? But there are implications for things that are, right? And so there are, if you are a black woman and you show up into a space, there's no denying that you're black and there's no denying that you're a woman, right? And those are things that people can judge or, um, or label or use to form certain ideas about who you are before you ever even open your mouth, right? I was expecting you to be this. Oh my gosh, you're so much nicer than I thought. Or, or oh my gosh, you're so well-spoken, which is a microaggression that we'll talk about later. But because there is, like you can't, and you can't, I can't walk into a space and people not know that I'm black, right? And because of that, there are certain conditioning that we have been led to believe that black women are, like we talked about in our first point. Like there's an expectation that as a black woman, I'm going to show up a certain way because of how we've been socialized to believe that black women sh show up. And if they're, God forbid that I'm confident right? Because I've gone to school, I've gotten the education, I've gotten the experience, I've gotten the credentials. And God forbid, I'm not, you know, 
doubting myself or I'm not suffering from imposter syndrome or I'm not intimidated by the other people in the room, right? Like as opposed to that being seen as something that's a good thing, oftentimes because I am black and a woman, that will come across as something that could potentially harm me and harm my career potential or my career opportunities, right? And being labeled as difficult and all these things. And we can find tons of examples of just, just in the media and in the press, right? But like having visible intersectionality that, um, that, that don't necessarily fit into the box of what someone who is in leadership looks like creates an extra hurdle right, that people have to overcome. And like, uh, we as a society, we have this desire to put things in a box, in a neat box. And so if you are othered or you are marginalized, oftentimes the decision that you are left with is, what part of my identity do I need to suppress for the sake of getting along or fitting in, right? And that is not something that I think a lot of other people deal with. And one of the conversations that we have is around, you know, people trying to hide their backgrounds because they're in these spaces and you may not want people to know that you grew up in a single parent home um, because of, again, another thing that people can judge or label you by or try to limit you by. You may not, like for me, I really, well, I do now, but before I didn't really talk about growing up in the war. I would say I was a Liberian immigrant, but I really wouldn't talk much about that, right? Like there are just parts of your identity where you try to avoid. And ultimately you want people to like get to know you like the human and not feel like you are being penalized for parts of your experience that you really had no control over, right? That you really had no input in. And I think visible intersectionality allows for people um, to be comfortable by putting you in a box, except the person in the box feels stifled and they can't do their best work when they are trying to hide or when they are being forced to um, to pretend to be someone that they're not or being or forced to, you know, maybe share five percent of who they are and five percent of their intellect because they don't want to make anybody else uncomfortable. The fourth thing that has come up a lot is around tokenism, right? And, you know, this is a, a two-sided coin, for lack of a better phrase, but there are times where people are put in, in positions where um, they know that their employer is only doing it to check a box, and they know that, you know, they're not being set up for success, and they know that when something goes wrong, they're going to take a, the fall for it, right? But in the name of career progression, they might take on that role and hope that, you know, something will change so that they can do that position well. But then on the flip side of that, it's also really highly credentialed people, black people, black women sitting in roles and people treating them as if the only reason they have that role is because they are black, right? It's like, you haven't checked my credentials. You don't know what seat I'm, why I'm sitting in this seat. But the the assumption is that I'm being a token, I'm here because I'm, just because I'm black, right? And so it's, it's, it's both, both of those things. Companies who are not really invested in certain things because of public outcry or because of, you know, public expectations in this season that we're in, in our, you know, current societal climate. It's like, well, we know we have to have a DEI person because that's what people are doing, but we're actually not going to give you any staff. We're not going to give you a budget. We're not really going to let you push change, um, like for real, but we want this black face in this role. And when we look at the number, like budgets right now, it's the, it's the DE&I roles that are being cut first, right? It's the investment in developing 
um, the different facets of employees that we have or we see in the workplace. That's what's being gone first. And there's no, well, it's, it's hard to not, it's hard to not feel like the only reason that those things were being done was because of outcry, not necessarily because leaders at the top felt like these initiatives were a core part of the success or a fundamental part of what it would take to be successful as a business, you know, moving forward. And so whether you're someone who sits at a seat and you are not in a position to be critiquing anyone, you find yourself challenging a woman or black woman, a leader, right? You should question, why is that? Why is it that whenever this type of person comes along, I always have, you know, the same kind of issue with them, right? Like, why do I always feel the need to challenge someone? Um, why do I not, would I do this same thing or ask these same questions if the person giving the the directive or the person, um, the person making this comment was not a black person or was not, you know, a person of color, whatever the case may be. Um, but understanding that there are times where because of how we've been conditioned, that we think that we know what a leader in that role should look like or be doing or the background they should come from. And sometimes those things are wrong. And so being self-aware enough to recognize when you are treating someone differently than you would have if they were, and, and it's a hard thing to, to you know, to rec- not recognize, but to admit, right? Because nobody wants to feel like they are um, unjustly treating someone some way. And we can all always find a way to rationalize our behaviors. But if we're honest with ourselves and we look at, you know, when my last boss was in this role or my last boss that I had, and they weren't a black person, if you have a black boss now, would I have behaved the same way if they had made these same demands or asked these same kind of questions or these kind of requirements, right? So that's important. The fifth part of this is um, they talked a lot about isolation. Um, because let's be honest, the higher you get up the corporate ladder, the less you're going to have of black people and the less black women you have, right? It's changing. It's changing slowly. Corporate changes slowly, which we understand. But that means that when you walk into a room to try to find a familiar face or someone who um, you at least assume from the onset may have had a similar climb to you, right? You don't have that. And so there are a lot of times where things are said or things are done where there's nobody in the room who can understand like the impact of those things. And so you feel really isolated. And what we encourage at I Choose the Ladder is that people find a tribe, you know, maybe outside of their company, right? Because if you're the only black person in leadership, it's hard to find, you can find your tribe of other people, but I'm telling you, it makes a difference when it's someone, like when I meet another black woman in entrepreneurship that I'm talking to about this building of a business, right? It's different than when I meet other entrepreneurs because our journeys to whether it's capital, um, to resources that we already had or we're trying to cultivate is just very different. And so sometimes it can feel very lonely for them because a lot of the, not a lot, some of the things that, you know, people do socially may not be what they've grown up doing, right? Like people take ski trips and golf trips and all those things. And for some folks, that's not what they've done. They haven't summer vacationed in places. They haven't um, necessarily done those things. And so you can often feel left out if you are not, you know, if you're not careful. And so finding a tribe, but also understanding that if you invite uh, you invite someone somewhere and they turn it down, it may not be because they don't want to. It may just be that they don't know how to do it. 
and they don't necessarily feel comfortable or they might be embarrassed saying those things to you. And so thinking through like, how are you building connections with the other leaders who may have a different life experience than you? And are you stepping out of your comfort zone um, to make sure that, you know, you can build a relationship with someone that isn't necessarily just on your terms. The sixth thing that we'll talk about is microaggressions. And we posted on um, a microaggressions reel on our Instagram timeline, uh, I want to say maybe like six or eight weeks ago. And it has thousands, like 10,000, I think, you know, likes and there's hundreds and hundreds of comments because this is a huge thing. And, and often people don't understand why microaggressions are a bad thing. Um, but because they, the person who is um, saying the microaggressions, oftentimes it's subtle, right? It's not a, it's not a blatantly racist thing, but it still has impact because there are negative assumptions that are typically tied to the backhanded compliments that microaggressions, um, that microaggressions include, right? So there are a few different types of microaggressions. So there are, you know, micro insults, right? They, oh, I didn't know that black people could do this, or I didn't know that women could do this, right? There are micro invalidations where, you know, someone shares something and you try to minimize it. Someone tells you about something that they feel like happened because of their race. You're like, oh, are you sure? I mean, it could be X, Y, and Z. Like it's that person's experience. They were the one who was in the in the thing. And as opposed to listening, you try to offer a counterpoint that invalidates how they feel and, and it's just not okay, right? And then there are, you know, assaults, right? They are discriminatory actions or comments that happen, whether it's part of policy, whether it's part of the company culture, right? Whether it's a, we don't wanna be too politically correct or whatever, but it's always targeted at one specific group and it wouldn't be tolerated if it were the reverse, right? Those things weigh heavily on people and they cause people to feel like they don't belong and they have to, to figure out, you know, how do you navigate that when all you wanna do is your job? And then that brings me to my last point that has come up a ton, and that is the emotional labor that a lot of black women have felt like they have to carry um, in order to be successful in leadership. Um, so emotional labor, the way that I look at it is just like, it's the work that you have to do to regulate your emotions while also managing the emotions of other people, right? So it's really, really hard. So an example of this, um, I can't think of a, a different example, but so when Angela Bassett didn't win the Oscar, a lot of the, 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 the social media chatter was about how she didn't smile and clap and all those things, right? So there's someone who is extremely disappointed because something happened, but we have decided that she's not allowed to be disappointed, that she has to perform in this specific way to meet our expectations, right? Or how when we have, you know, race-related things that happen to black folks, like with George Floyd, there was still the expectation that your black employees came in and delivered. So they're managing their emotions while a lot of their colleagues were just recognizing that these types of things happen in the world. So they're managing themselves while they're managing you, while they're, right? Like it, it's a lot. And so the, the emotional labor of trying to navigate all of the six things that I just talked about while still being expected to perform or outperform some colleagues, to be all of these things, it's just a lot. And those are things that come to work with your 
colleagues every single day, right? It doesn't go away. And they're at any given time, they're trying to navigate or negotiate one of those spaces while still trying to meet your expectations or meet the expectations of the job or meet the expectations of the company. And so there are times where if you know that you're not someone who has to go through these things or navigate those things, being an ally looks like making sure you're not someone who's putting people in these types of situations and that when you see them happening, right? If you see someone questioning your colleague in a way that you know that they would never question you, to have a conversation with the person doing it. Lending your power in spaces where others may not have the power is really important, right? And when we talk about allyship, it's it's not how you wanna show up for your black and brown colleagues. Um, it is how they need you to show up. And one of the things that we know is that sometimes it can be out of your comfort zone. A lot of times it's gonna be out of your comfort zone. A lot of times it's gonna be the first time you've ever thought about those things or experienced those things, but hopefully now that you're more aware when you're in meetings, when you're sending emails, when you're seeing emails, right? You, you are looking at it through a lens of, hmm, if this were me, right, would this person have responded in this way? If this were, right, try to try to, to think about an experience that's different than yours that you may be having because of a position of power that you sit in, um, and that could be for a variety of reasons, and how do you then use what you have to make people more curious about their actions. So this is not to shame people or publicly you know, humiliate people. It's to make us all aware about how our actions impact the people with the least amount of power, right? Not just in the company, but pretty much in the country, right? Based on data and, and all of those things. But just that I would share those. Um, if you don't have any black colleagues, that's problematic. Um, but if, as you think about, you know, the people you engage with on a regular basis, if that's a black boss that you've been, you know, now you want to re-examine your relationship with how you treat them as you start to ask yourself some questions or a colleague that you have, you know, leadership, who's in leadership, whose experience you really haven't taken the time to get to know. Can you have a conversation with, you know, with that person about what it's like and maybe offer, you know, some ways in which you can, you can help. But ultimately we have to all understand that we're not having the same experience at work. Um, and that for, for some of us, uh, the, the things that we have to navigate to get to our end result sometimes makes it a lot harder, um, and it's tiring and it's, um, it can be disappointing. It can be really sad. And so if you have an opportunity to be an ally to someone, um, there are a million and one ways in which you can do that. And you guys know, I love to keep the conversation going. So if you have any thoughts on, you know, what was shared, if you are someone who's been dealing with this uh, or someone who's trying to figure out how to be better, um, how to better humanize the corporate experience, I would love to hear from you. You can connect with me on Instagram at um, I See You Watching. You can connect with the company on Instagram at I Choose The Ladder. You can also connect with me on LinkedIn at Watching Yanu. And until next time, thank you for listening.